Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Turn with me to Acts chapter chapter 16. We'll read verses 1 through 15 of Acts chapter 16. Good to see you. Thank you, Mike Johnson, for that incredible presentation. We appreciate it very much. Uh, If you are uh, a relative of a soldier who fell in battle, uh, or if you are a veteran, together, would you stand just so we can recognize you and appreciate you? And we do. Thank you so much. title of this message is Deciding the right thing to do. What do you do when you are not sure of the right thing to do? Acts chapter 16, the first 15 verses. The Apostle Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Well, it's Memorial Day weekend. It is the, uh, what we've come to call the official beginning of summer. And it is a time when uh, a lot of us have to make some serious and perhaps not so serious choices. You may be thinking about, uh, are we going to go on vacation this summer? Or where are we going to go on vacation this summer? Or how long will we be on vacation this summer? Or 
how in the world are we going to pay for any vacation this summer? Or who will we invite to go with us or uninvite to go with us on vacation this summer? Uh, now, granted, though those decisions are important, they're not life-altering decisions. Usually they're not. Although, there are people who, uh, over the course of a summer, will make life-altering decisions. For two years, I worked in real estate eons ago. And it was my experience, I'm not saying it is every real estate agent's experience, but it was my experience that uh, a lot of people, especially a lot of families with children in school, if they were going to change addresses, move from one town to another, uh, they did it during the summer so that the, the school year would not be interrupted for, the, for their kids. And so uh, more houses are sold during the summertime, at least in my experience, than any other time because that's when people are moving. People, and that's a major decision. That's a major life change. Some decisions you and I make in life, they're very easy. We know even without having to think about it very much what the, the solution is going to be, what the answer will be, what choice we will make. There's not even a whole lot of debate. Some of them we don't even have to pray over, I suppose. But then there are decisions that leave us scratching our heads. We're not really sure whether to go to the right or to the left, what we're supposed to do how we're supposed to do whatever it is we're supposed to do. And so we, we who are people of Christian faith, we cry out to God to give us leadership and direction. And I wish I could say to you that every time you come to God, every single time without exception, immediately God will give you the exact, clear, irrefutable answer you're looking for. Sometimes He does do that, and I'm very appreciative for the times He does. But Often in my own experience, perhaps it's yours too, uh, God makes me struggle to find out what He wants for me to do. And sometimes uh, through trial and error, I, I may decide on something and it turns out to be not what God wanted and I suffer for it. Other times, again, trial and error, I'll make the right decision. How do you make the right decision? How do you go about identifying what is the right thing to do. I get so discouraged sometimes not really knowing exactly what it is I need to do or what it is I need to say or where it is I need to go. And this passage of Scripture I read for you today from Acts chapter 16 actually gives me great comfort because in this passage I discover that no less an all-star Christian than the Apostle Paul also struggled with trying to find out what is the right thing to do. And I got to tell you, I don't mean, don't mean to wish any adversity upon the Apostle Paul, but I'm glad that he struggled to find out the right thing to do sometimes. Because that makes me not feel too awfully bad. So how do you figure out the right thing to do. I want to give you uh, six principles that we find from this passage of Scripture that help us in determining what is right. First of all, I want you to notice that doing the right thing involves the ability and the willingness to follow instructions. One of the most annoying things as a church leader are those times when there are people who they, they just, they're, they're Lone Ranger Christians. They, they insist on doing things their own way and in their own time and on their own, uh, on, on their own planning. 
And sometimes that works out great and sometimes it doesn't. But it's, it's a good thing, I think, when we have people who actually, given the fact, given that the instructions are right, they can actually follow the instructions. Sometimes doing the right thing means following the instructions. Now, I don't know how many dads there are or granddads there are in this building who are like me. I hope they're not many because one of the things about myself is if, if, I, if a man and I uh, purchase, say, an appliance or we purchase a toy for our grandbaby Bellamy, who, by the way, I spent 10 days on the beach with and it was awesomely wonderful, and uh, she liked it too because I am her, her best friend. I'm her favorite person. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But how many times we buy something for her or bought something for our kids and it says assembly required? Let me tell you, the words assembly required come straight out of a demon's dictionary somewhere. You know, I just really, and, and I'll tell you, I, I, I consider myself uh, an intelligent person, and so I don't need the instructions, right? And so I'll just go straight to putting something together. And it's only after I get going putting something together that I find out, Jimmy, you got to read the instructions, bro. You've got to open up the directions and follow them if you want to do this accurately. The Apostle Paul found this to be true. Watch in verse number four. It says, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. They delivered the decisions that the uh, authorities in the church had voted on to be communicated to the church. What decisions were these? Now, this is Acts chapter 16. If you were to back up to Acts chapter 15, which is a very important uh, chapter in the book of Acts, you'll find that there was a conference convened in Jerusalem. It was the first global Christian church conference that was convened in Jerusalem. All the leaders, Peter, James, John, Paul, Barnabas, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, all of them were assembled in Jerusalem, and they were there to talk about and make a decision on one single question. And that question was, what are the rock-bottom requirements for a person to become a Christian? What do they have to do? What has to happen in their lives? There were two groups there. One group said that all a person has to do is to put their trust in Jesus Christ believe in him, receive him into their hearts, and they will be saved. In other words, it's by grace through faith, and you don't have to do anything else. There was a second group that said, well, that's fine and good, but we want to add to that that you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the commandments, and you need to follow all the Jewish rituals. And they battled back and forth on which of those groups would win out. And finally, the decision was made when James... The pastor of the church got up, and in Acts chapter 15, verse 19, he says this. He says, this is my judgment, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, that is the major decision to come out of that church. And what that meant was, we're not going to burden people with having to keep commandments, having to be circumcised, having to follow Jewish rituals as requirements for salvation. It is enough that we trust Jesus Christ by faith in grace. But then he goes on to say this. He said, instead, we should write to them, telling them, now what he's about to say here are not requirements for salvation, but rather some things that are good for, for Christians to do 
in order to be good witnesses to other people. It says, we, we tell them to abstain from food polluted to idols, by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, these are the instructions that are given. So what does Paul do? As he goes from place to place preaching, he is, he is following the instructions. He is sharing with his churches what he has been told to do. Doing the right thing sometimes involves the ability and willingness to follow instructions. Second, sometimes the right thing to do is determined by the circumstances that you face, you and I face, when we get in a given situation. Now, in verse 1, Paul came to Derbe, then to Lystra. At Lystra, there was a disciple named Timothy. Timothy lived with his mother and father. His mother was Jewish, and she was a Christian. But his father was a Greek. We don't know if he was a believer or not. Probably not. Luke here, the writer, only says that he was a Greek. And so the believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. And verse 3 is something that seems to go against what I just said, which is following instructions of people not having to be circumcised. Watch this, verse 3. Paul wanted to take Timothy along with him on the journey. So he circumcised him. Because, why did he do it? He didn't have to do it. Paul was one of those who didn't believe that circumcision was required for salvation. So why did he do this? Because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that Timothy's father was Greek. Paul did not feel that Timothy should be required to be circumcised. However, because that decision by the church had not gained widespread uh, familiarity with the churches, he felt like it would be better for their witness if Timothy was circumcised. What was it that caused him to make that decision for Timothy? It was because of the circumstances that he faced. There are times when doing the right thing is following the instructions we're given. There are times when doing the right thing is, is dependent upon the circumstances that, with which we are confronted. Number three, at times, when you're looking for the right thing to do, God will show you where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do, but he'll show you this only after he sees our willingness to act. Now, if you're uh, confronted with a certain decision in your life and you're, you're stepping back and you, you're, you're a sincere Christian, you've been asking God to give you wisdom and direction, and God give me direction in this, in this particular circumstance, and he just doesn't seem to be giving it to you, and you're getting a little impatient, and you're getting a little annoyed. When in reality, there are times when God will not reveal to us his will until we are willing to act first in faith. The Bible says in verse 6, Paul and his, his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now, they're traveling, they're acting. But watch this, after having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, their plan was to go to Asia. But as they were on the way to Asia, the Holy Spirit says, nope, you're not going to go there. I want you to go through Phrygia and Galatia. But notice, Paul didn't, didn't set up in a camp and refuse to move, waiting for God to say something. He got up and they were acting. And in the process of acting, traveling, God, through his Holy Spirit, revealed to them where he wanted to go. Same thing again in uh, the, uh, verse number 7. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, 
But again, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Messiah and they went down to uh, Troas. There are times when God is waiting to reveal to you his will, but he is going to wait for you to act in faith, to step out in faith before he shows you his will. Uh, the, the greatest example of this to me is in the Old Testament. After Moses had died and Joshua was his successor, the children of Israel, after having spent 40 years in the wilderness, they are on the banks, the eastern banks of the Jordan River. They know that they are to go across the Jordan River into Canaan. At that time, Jordan is a much larger river than it is today. It was uh, 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 virtually impossible to get across without some sort of boat or, or bridge or something of that nature. They didn't have any of that. And so God had told Joshua, he says, I'm going to stop the flow of the Jordan River, but I'm not going to do it before the priest step their feet into the water. And sure enough, they lined up to go to the, across the Jordan River. The waters are flowing. And the moment the priests put their toes in the water of the Jordan, the water is dammed up miles upstream. And then and only then do the children of Israel, are they able to go across the Jordan River as if it's on dry ground. But God only did that once he saw their willingness to act first. So sometimes God will show you what he wants you to do and where he wants you to go, but only after he sees your willingness to go first. Fourth, paying close attention to the different ways God speaks helps us to do what is right. God speaks in a number of ways. The best way is through his word, the Bible, properly understanding his word. There's so much misunderstanding of his word today, but a proper understanding of his word is the best way that he speaks to us today. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. Here in verse 9, he spoke to Paul through a vision. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Maybe some of you have had times where God spoke to you through a vision or maybe spoke to you through a dream. That's not usually the way he speaks to me, but I do understand that he speaks to people that way sometimes. And I think that when he does, we need to take it seriously. But I want you to watch one other way that God reveals his will to us. Watch this. After Paul, verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, two pronouns I want you to notice there. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this is verse 10. If you look at verses 1 through 9, all of the pronouns are third-person plural or third-person singular. He did this, they did that, they decided, he was over here. It's all third-person plural. But beginning with verse 10, you no longer have third-person plural, but you have first-person plural. No longer is it they and he, but it is we and us. So after Paul, watch this, after Paul saw this vision, and Paul, of course, is, is is, uh, has decided God is speaking to me through this vision. But before he acts on it, he turns to his teammates, his colleagues, and he runs this vision by them. And it is only when they concur, affirm his vision as being from God, that they together then act on that vision. So let me just say this. If you think God is telling you to do something, whether, whether you, you 
interpret it in his word, or you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you something, or, you, or God speaks to you, you think in a vision or a dream, before you act on that, run what you think God has said to you by some folks that you trust and you know to be godly. And if they affirm what you feel God is saying to you, if they affirm it, then by all means act on it. But, but uh, allow people the freedom to say, you know what, I'm not sure that that came from God. Because let me tell you, as a pastor, I've had people come to me and say, man, I, 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 God spoke to me in a vision the other Thursday, and here's what he says we need to do. And I said, what did he say? And they begin telling me, and I'm sitting there thinking, there is no way God said that. And they get mad at me because we don't just jump right into it. Sometimes God speaks to us through a vision, but run it by some other folks because God often speaks through the counsel of people you trust and you know will be honest with you. Number five, God reveals his will to those who are patient enough to wait for it. From Troas. We put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And then watch the last sentence of verse number 12. And we stayed there several days. We stayed there several days. Sometimes... In, in order for you and me to understand what God is saying to us, we have to be patient enough to wait for him to speak. He waited there for them several days. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, where Isaiah says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. They that wait upon the Lord shall run and not be weary. They that wait upon the Lord shall walk and not faint. You see, Paul understood that sometimes God speaks through vision. Sometimes God speaks through his word. Sometimes God speaks through the counsel of godly people. But there's always this point that we need to remember, and that is that, that God, when God speaks, it's so important we need to take the time to wait on him. His timing is always perfect. And then finally, the right thing to do is sometimes reveal to us when God speaks through unexpected opportunities that he places before us. Paul and his group see this vision. He sees this vision. They concur this vision to cross the sea over into the Roman province of Macedonia. They cross the sea over into Macedonia and they spend the night there. The next morning, they go down by the river and they're expecting to find a place of prayer. All right, that's what they're expecting. What they don't know is that when they get to this place of prayer, there's going to be a group of women already there. Not men, but women. In that culture, you just didn't, if you were, if uh, men didn't just go up to women, nor women to men that they didn't know and just start speaking to them, it was totally uh, bad etiquette to do that. You just didn't do it. You remember in John chapter 4, Jesus comes up and he starts talking to a woman at Jacob's well and she says, ha, you are a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman and you're asking me for water. You know that's not what's supposed to happen here. It was part of their culture. You just didn't speak to them. But what does Paul do? 
Does he follow the, the cultural expectations? No. He goes right up to these women who are meeting, finds out that they are worshipers of God, they're seeking God, but they don't understand everything about Jesus. So Paul shares with them the gospel, and they are open to receiving the gospel. One of these people, one of these ladies, is a woman from the city of Thyatira. Her name is Lydia. She's a fashion designer. <laughs> She manufactures and distributes purple clothing. She believes Paul. Her whole household of people, all the women there, believe Paul. And then they, uh, Paul and his comrades are invited to her house to stay for a while. You see, these women at this place, was not, they, they were not what Paul expected. It was an unexpected opportunity. I'm wondering, I'm wondering how many opportunities are placed before every one of us on an everyday basis and how many of them we miss because we're not paying attention to what God is saying and doing. How many missed opportunities? In the book of Revelation chapter 3, there are three letters to three churches. And uh, one of the letters is to the church at Philadelphia. And in that letter to the church at Philadelphia, at one place, Jesus says this. He says, Behold, I place before you an open door, and nobody can shut it. An open door, an open window. Now, an open door, an open window implies that it's going to be open for a while, but doors and windows don't remain open all the time. There is a closing time to that window. This was a window, a door of opportunity for the church at Philadelphia. God places before us opportunities, and more often than not, they are not opportunities that we anticipate. They're unexpected. And so, we have to pay attention. I'm preaching this message today because I want you to do what's right. I want you to go where is right to go. I want you to say what is right. I want you to believe what is right. And that is so hard these days. I'm so thankful that God helps us when it's hard to know what's right. Let's pray. God, for those times when choices are easy, thank you, thank you, thank you. But for those many times when the choices are blurry, it's hard to discern what is the right thing to do. Thank you for giving us principles to help us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who act like you, speak like you, look like you, love like you, show compassion like you. Help us to be the body of Christ so that when people see us acting and talking and doing, they say, you know, that's exactly what Jesus would do if he were here. And Lord... You will be here through us. In Jesus' name, amen.